Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church. You can find more great content like this online at citylight.church. Today is Resurrection Sunday, which is, I mean, in terms of like big days in the year for, for the church and for Christians, it is basically it, really. So here we are. Uh, just out of interest, because we are a, like North Adelaide here, City Light North Adelaide, we only meet in the evenings. Uh, when I was growing up, I grew up in a Christian household, and uh, I've now got three kids of my own, and uh, we have this rule that you don't eat your chocolate eggs until after church. Anyone have that rule? And you had nobody, zero percent. It's because you're all like intelligent, wise people, uh, not not foolish like myself. Well, especially when you only have an evening service, I think that's just too hard. Uh, so, word on to you for having chocolate. Anyone here just not into chocolate at all? A couple. Like literally a couple. Yeah, I don't normally eat chocolate. Uh, I don't normally have much sugar. Uh, but again, with those three kids, they love to share, which is great. We're trying to teach them to be generous. Uh, so I've eaten a lot more sugar than I would ever normally eat today. And uh, Sugar normally makes me lose my voice. So I'm hoping, I already preached twice this morning, Glenn, hoping that we'll make it through. Uh, if not, just the closest person come up and continue on from wherever I live off and and that'll be great. <clears throat> uh, so we're, we are, I mean, it's Resurrection Sunday, but we're also really towards the beginning, but kind of in the middle of our series through Isaiah. So we've just been traveling right through Isaiah today. We're actually, we're continuing in Isaiah. We're in Isaiah 11 and 12 today. And so in one regard, we're not taking a break from our sermon series to uh, specifically look at the resurrection, but in another way, because of providentially, where we're up to in Scripture, we're actually going to be looking a lot at the resurrection today in Isaiah 11 and 12, specifically in Isaiah. My hope is that it'll be really encouraging, uh, a little bit challenging, but for the most part, just wonderfully hope-giving as we read Scripture today, as we uh, have a look at what that means for us today. So let's have a read, we'll pray, and we'll get stuck into it. This from at least the first half of Isaiah 11. Then there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of God. And his delight shall be in the fear of Yahweh. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child, the toddler, shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. On that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious." Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father God, we, we so uh, desperately need you, acknowledge our need, a great need for you. 
And we also acknowledge that you have uh, come through in such a wonderful, wondrous way by sending your uh, dear and holy and only Son, Jesus, for us. We celebrate you today, celebrate him today. We thank you for um, everything that you have done for us and most of all in making yourself known to us. What a, what a wondrous thing that we can know you and be known by you. Help us to understand your word today. Speak to us. Minister by your spirit to our hearts and to our minds, we ask in Jesus' holy name. Amen. <clears throat> so why is this a good fit for Isaiah? And we haven't read it all uh, for, for Resurrection Sunday. Why is this a good fit? Uh, because I really believe here in chapter 11 specifically, we can see the, the who, the what, and the how of what Jesus' resurrection actually purchases for us. Right here, 700, written 700 years before Jesus walked the earth. This gives us this picture of what the resurrection will look like. Not, not just Jesus' resurrection, but then also what that means for us and what is purchased for us in that. So we're going to look at the who, the what, and the how of the resurrection. Starting with the who. <clears throat> and right here in verse 1, it says, this, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. And if you're just visiting with us today, or you haven't been around for um, the first month or so of this Isaiah series, you might not really understand the imagery that he's getting at here. But if you go back just a little bit into chapter 10, this is how it ends. Look, verse 33, look, the Lord God of armies will chop off the branches with terrifying power, and the tall trees will be cut down, the high trees felled. He is clearing the thickets of the forest with an axe, and Lebanon, with its, with its majesty, will fall. <clears throat> and this is really just an echo of the first ten chapters, where, where God is saying through the prophet Isaiah to his own people in Judah and Jerusalem, uh, in the southern kingdoms, this is what's going to happen. You have been faithless. You have walked away, ran away from me to other nations, to other gods. Look to yourself and not to me. He said, so, so there will be judgment. And he goes on for chapters saying, this is what this judgment is going to look like. And man, if there, if there wasn't mercy, you would be completely destroyed. But as it is, a remnant will remain. There, there will be a remnant. But in the meantime, it'll look like a war zone because it will be a war zone. Death and destruction and decay as the judgment comes. Chapter 5, um, Isaiah says, the Lord will put up a banner over Israel and Judah and it'll be like the Pavlovian bell to the dogs, the other nations, saying it's dinner time, come and devour the people of God. And this is what happens. People of God completely routed. And he uses this imagery often of this, like a forest that has been completely felled. So where there once was life is now just destruction, just stumps everywhere. And then he says, at the end of chapter 10, and even all of those nations that are going to come in and destroy you, because of their wickedness, I'm going to come in and destroy all of them as well. I see where once there was this lively, <clears throat> um, thick forest, now only death, just stumps remaining. And then we get to chapter 11, and he says, but from the stump of Jesse, that's King David's dad, in the, in the Davidic line, in the royal line, will come a shoot from that stump. You look, you look over the wasteland of Judah and Israel and you see God's judgment, but here's the hope. 
someone's coming. Some of one of David's descendants, the royal line, a new king is coming. New king's on the way. That a shoot will grow up from the stump of Jesse and a branch from its roots will bear fruit. It's another foreshadowing of Jesus. Here we have Isaiah again, like he's done already a couple of times, telling us that the Messiah is coming, telling us that the Christ is on his way. It's also a fulfillment of uh, 2, 2 Samuel chapter 7, where um, God is saying, a descendant of David will be God's own son and have an eternal throne. And this is where we're starting to see the glimpses, not just of Jesus coming, but the resurrected king in his kingdom. What it's going to look like when Jesus sits back on his throne for forever. It'll be a kingdom that never finishes, never ends. So that's in, in verse 1 of chapter 11. And then we have this big description of, of what and how, and then we get down to, chapter, to verse 10, and this is what it says. <clears throat> uh, verse 10. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for all peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious, or literally, shall be glory. His resting place will be glory. Verse 1, the shoot from the stump of Jesse. Verse 10, the root of the stump of Jesse. So what's he ta- what, what is Isaiah telling us, God telling us through Isaiah about the Messiah who's going to come, about this new king who's going to come? It's going to be someone in the line of David, someone who comes after David, but it's someone who was there before David as well. It's the, someone from the shoot, the shoot of the stump of Jesse coming out like this, looks like death, but here's our hope. But this guy who's coming is also the root of the stump of Jesse. He was there at the, the very beginning. He, he preceded David. Jesus actually claims this for himself. Uh, in Revelation 22, he says, I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. He's basically saying, you know Isaiah 11? He's talking to John, uh, saying, write this down for us, basically. Uh, you know Isaiah 11, who he was talking about? He's talking about me. He's talking about me. I was the one who was going to come. I was the one who was there before. He's talking about me. Uh, in chapter 9, verse 7, it says, Of this king that's coming, the dominion of his kingdom will be vast, and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and for forever. This is who is going to be coming. This is who is the, the, the shoot from the stump. It's not talking about the remnant. He mentions the remnant in other places. This is a single person who's going to come. The single hope for not just the people of Israel, the people of Judah, but the people of all nations, verse 10 tells us, is Jesus. That's who's going to come. It's an amazing prophecy about Jesus, that he was going to come and be a man, but more than a man, not just a man, not just someone who happened to be descended from a king, but someone who came before the king. This is the one uh, John, <clears throat> the, the gospel writer, John the disciple, uh, quotes John the Baptist as saying, this is he of whom John declared, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. So even King David knew this was going to happen. In fact, Jesus brings this up as well. Uh, Matthew 22, he has a God of the Pharisees. They question Jesus. And so he questions them. Verse 42 of chapter 22. What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? Jesus asking the Pharisees. They replied, David's. The Messiah will be David's son because they know Isaiah chapter 11. They know that it's going to be a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Verse 43, Jesus asked them, How is it then that David, inspired by the Spirit, calls him Lord? 
The Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet, quoting David from Psalm 110. If David calls him Lord, Jesus said, how then can he be his son? In verse 46, no one was able to answer him at all. And from that day on, no one dared question him anymore. Jesus here is alluding to over and over again the fact that he is the one who not only was to come, not only the Messiah who was going to save, but not just a man, he was the God-man who was there before. John talks about this in his, in his opening in, in that same uh, chapter 1 of his Gospel. It says, Through him all things were made, and without him was not anything made that was made. Through Jesus, everything came into existence. Nothing came into existence without Jesus. Nothing. He pre-existed and then he comes into his own creation. The shoot of the stump of Jesse was also the root of the stump of Jesse. It's amazing. This is why Jesus also says and confounds and angers uh, the teachers of the law when he says, you guys aren't the sons of Abraham. You're the sons of Satan. You speak his natural language because you're his sons. I tell you before, Abraham was I am and claims the name of of God from Exodus, from the burning bush, for himself. Saying, I'm not just the Messiah who was going to come, I'm not just a man, I am God become man. This is who I am. This is the who of the resurrection. The who of the prophecy is Jesus. Jesus was going to come and bring these promises, these um, prophecies into existence. What does it say about him? This is what it says. Man, this is amazing. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Chapter 11, verse 2. And the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide, disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. This is what it means. He's the perfect king. He's the perfect judge. He's the perfect ruler. He has no counselors. He doesn't, <clears throat> he doesn't actually even need any People to come in and bear witness for him to go and get counsel about the witness. He needs no witnesses because he already knows everything. He needs no counselors because what knowledge or value could they possibly add to him that he doesn't already have? He is the perfect king. The perfect king. Never calls a witness, never takes advice, never has to go and get a greater perspective, never has to deliberate, never has to like think about these things. He rules perfectly. He doesn't need to bring you in for your side of the story. This kind of grates against us, I think, uh, in Australia in our day, that we wouldn't even, we wouldn't even get to go and make a defence for ourselves. He doesn't need that because he knows everything already. There's no appeals process because he never gets it wrong. And there's never any new information to him. He is the perfect, holy, judge, ruler, king. He lacks nothing. He lacks nothing uh, he knows your side of the story. He knows your lacks. He knows your deficiency. He knows your sin. He knows your, your heart, what your heart really wants. He also knows all the injustices that have been done to you. He knows the people that have uh, abandoned you or wronged you or harmed you. He knows all of those things. And he's the perfect and just God and nothing goes unpunished. Nothing. Everything for the just ruler will be punished. 
every sin, every iniquity, either upon the perpetrator or upon himself at the cross. Every injustice meets justice in Jesus. It's why he came for us. It's why he died for us, because he knows us. He knows our complete and abject inability to live a holy and just life of our own. And so he came and lived that life on our behalf, died the death that we deserved. This is the, this is the king of the resurrection that we see here. <clears throat> what kind of king is it? It's an, what kind of kingdom is it? It's an everlasting kingdom. A kingdom that doesn't end. doesn't end because, again, he never makes a wrong decision. He doesn't lack anything at all. This is the king of the new kingdom. That's the who. What about the what? What is this resurrected state going to look like? Why do we make such a big deal out of the resurrection? Like in, in the church, we rightly make a really big deal out of the cross. Like, big deal <clears throat> out of the cross. Rightly so. We don't, I mean, we don't want to diminish the cross. But I think we do... We, oh man, we diminish the value and the necessity of the resurrection way too much. We assume it, actually. So it's such a big deal out of the cross, we kind of glance over the resurrection and look to the cross for all of our hope. Look to the cross uh, for our joy and for our worship and for everything, and rightly, rightly so. Don't hear me say we shouldn't be doing that. Uh, but I think, in fact, in Scripture we see uh, time and time again in the apostles' writings, they say it's the resurrection that we look to for our hope. If not for the resurrection, we are to be pitied above all fools. If not for the resurrection, in the cross, we find all of our sin dealt with. In the cross, we find God's righteous wrath against us, not poured out onto us, deserving ones, but poured onto Jesus, the perfect one, the holy one. And so, again, we rightly look to the cross, but where does our hope come from? Hope comes from the resurrection, and we'll see why. Now, what's this resurrected state going to, be look, like, going to look like? This is what he says. <clears throat> um, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the lion, the fattened calf together. A little child shall lead them. So we have a leopard and a lion being led by a little kid. It's unthinkable in Australia, in the world, actually, as it stands now. Uh, little kids going to be putting their hands into like snake dens. Unthinkable. Maybe child abuse to even mention it. How is it so here? It's because everything has been made perfect again. Uh, in Isaiah 65, Isaiah talks about these same things. In verse 24 it says, Even before they call, I'll answer. While they're still sleeping, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like cattle. But the serpent's food will be dust. They will not do what is evil or destroy on my entire holy mountain, says the Lord. If we go back to verse 17, so we see like that's pretty much directly from Isaiah 11. <clears throat> and he goes back uh, in verse 17 to say this, I will create a new heaven and a new earth, and the past events will not be remembered or come to mind. Then be glad and rejoice forever in what I'm creating, for I will create Jerusalem to be a joy and its people to be a delight, I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will no longer be heard in her. This is the picture of the resurrection. It is 
the new heavens and the new earth. When Jesus was, <clears throat> when Jesus came back to life, when Jesus was resurrected in, back into his body, uh, what we see is him being called by the apostles the firstborn of a new creation, the first fruits, firstborn of a new creation, that he is actually ushering in a, a new kingdom. Uh, he was already the king before, but this kingdom is a new kingdom marked by holiness and newness, marked by a new creation, one that will never end. It will go on forever and forever and forever under the new and resurrected king, Jesus. This is, this is what we're looking forward to. Uh, it'll be not just perfect for us, but all of creation will be perfected. Bears and cattle will be mates. There'll be no more mauling. Lions will be fed straw like cattle. You might give a you know, lion a big noogie on its big mane. Noogie, noogie, noogie. Kids will take them by the lead and lead them around. You won't fear snakes. It'll be like walking in the long grass in New Zealand. No fear of snakes. But, but even more than that, it'll be like walking in the long grass in Australia and not fearing any snakes. It's unthinkable, actually, in Australia. But this is the resurrected kingdom. This is the new heavens and the new earth. We, again, are talking about a disservice in minimising the resurrection. We have uh, kind of bought this idea that, you know, when we become a Christian, we die and we go to heaven. Uh, that's, that's kind of true. That's kind of true. Uh, what Scripture tells us is that there'll be new heavens and new earth. The new earth is like the old earth, but perfected. But perfect. Under King Jesus. Under his righteous and holy eternal rule. As it was meant to be always. On Isaiah 11, Ray Ordland, he says it like this, When the earth is full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover over the sea, the scars of our ugly utopias will disappear forever under the overflowing of the healing of Christ. If we bow to the rule of Jesus Christ, he'll lead us into everything safe and pleasant with no dark side, no forced laughter, no guilty conscience, no unhealed wounds. The victory of Jesus will be the awakening and purifying and restoring and gladdening of all things. This is what we're looking forward to. This is why the resurrection is such a big deal, because in the resurrection of Christ, we have a glimpse, we have a, 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 like a firstborn idea of what the whole future kingdom is going to look like. We, we, we can know, and not just the glimpse, not the, just the idea, but our hope is there. Because Jesus was risen, we have confidence, we too will be risen into the new kingdom. We, we, we must have an appropriate, like a, a proper perspective on the resurrection. Who's going to be there in this new kingdom? It won't just be the people of Judah, um, Isaiah was writing to here. Again, in Isaiah 5, God puts up the banner for other nations to come and rout the people of God. But here in Isaiah 11, he puts up a banner to gather the nations to himself. It's amazing that you and I, regardless of our heritage, uh, we see the banner, we see Jesus lifted high and God draws us to himself. And we all come into his kingdom, those who are called. We are those nations. We are invited into the new kingdom under the resurrected Jesus for those who believe. 
Your, your race, your heritage is not a barrier. Your social status is not a barrier. Your like, bank account balance is not a barrier. Your intellect is not a barrier. In Romans 15, Paul quotes Isaiah 11 uh, to show that his mission's mission to the Gentiles fulfills prophecy. He says this, I say that Christ became a servant to the circumcised on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises to the fathers. So he comes to his people because his, because his people had been promised since Abraham, in fact, since the garden, that God was going to do a great work through them, that they would be his people and he would be their God. And then what? Verse 9, and so that Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, and he goes on to list a few uh, examples from the Old Testament, and he gets to Isaiah 11. He says, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will appear. The one who, ri- who rises to rule the Gentiles, the Gentiles will hope in him. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So who will be in the new earth with the resurrected King Jesus? It'll be people from all nations who are called by him. All who respond to this gospel call will be there. It's amazing. Because there's this great hope that, again, it's not our pedigree that we look to, like the Jews in Jesus' time saying, well, no, no, we're sons of Abraham. He says, no, 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 you need to be sons of God. This is to our great benefit. And this is our mission as well. Our mission is also to raise this banner. We might call people to respond to the glorious grace and love of God. That they too would look to the cross for the forgiveness of their sins and look to the resurrection for their hope for the future. That's our call too. How, how will this happen? That's the who, that's the what. I mean, that's a glimpse of the who and, and like a, you know, a shadow of the how, of the um, what. Let's look at the how. Isaiah 25, uh, verse 7 says, On this mountain he will destroy the burial shroud, the shroud over all the peoples, the sheet covering all the nations. So saying, on this mountain, like the mountain on which I'm standing now, uh, looking to Jesus, walking up that mountain, like looking down prophetically through <clears throat> the passage of time to see Jesus coming on that mountain, he will destroy the burial shroud, the shroud over all the people. There's a shroud over all. What is this shroud? It covers all the nations. It says he will destroy death forever. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to destroy death forever, to remove the shroud of death that every woman and man who would ever live would then go and die because of sin. That Jesus would come and deal with sin on the cross, uh, prove the power and his resurrection to have overcome and destroyed death forever. It goes on. The Lord God will wipe away the tears from every face and remove the people's disgrace from the whole earth. For Yahweh has spoken. On that day we said, Look, this is our God. We have waited for him and he has saved us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. All of these things written about Jesus 700 years before he walked around, walked the earth. Speaking of Jesus coming and saving us, speaking of Jesus uh, coming and dealing with death, death is now done for. Death is dealt with. Death is defeated. Death, we don't fear death anymore. Not the great death. 
He's killed death. In the next resurrection, there's no more disgrace, no more, no more tears. Like this imagery is like a, a father or a mother like cupping, cradling the face of their kid and wiping away their tears after something significant had happened from like just falling over to a dog or a family member dying or missing out on something, some disappointment in their life. And this parent wiping away those tears denotes intimacy, like immediacy. This is the God who is coming for his people. He's coming for you and for me. There'll be no more death, no more, no more cancer, uh, no more mental illness, no more decay, no more getting old and like rickety. It's all done for. It's all dealt with. We look to Jesus' resurrection as the first and the promise of our own resurrection in him. Uh, death has been destroyed and we will live in the reality of death's destruction in the new earth with our King Jesus. It's not just, it's not just us that look to that and go, oh my goodness, I just can't wait for that. For me, I, uh, I look to that and I think that's, that's just a phenomenal promise. Uh, uh, during the week, um, I uh, went to a friend of mine's funeral. She was 35. Uh, she'd been a single woman missionary um, for a bunch of her adult life. Really amazing move of God through her where she was serving in one of the most just difficult places on earth. Um, numerous members, like co-workers of hers, were, were murdered uh, in various attacks, uh, either while she was there or while she was on home assignment. Uh, and yet, over the last year, cancer got her and just rid- like riddled her body until she faded away. There's no more cancer in the new earth. There's no more death. There's no more destruction. There's no more weeping. We, we rightly look forward to this. That's not just us who look forward to it, man. All of creation is looking forward to it. You know what Paul says of the creation. He says, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed to us. Say, man, your struggle with depression right now uh, sucks. Uh, That thing that that person that you trusted did to you that they shouldn't have done, uh, that's, it might be horrific. Maybe you have uh, in your body cancer or illness or lack that every day drives you to the brink of despair. I met with a, a woman this morning, uh, just after our church, one of our church services, she said, uh, just a couple months ago, my husband of 30 years just walked out. What, what the heck am I supposed to do? And yet Paul says, and man, you look at Paul's resume of suffering, it's decent. He says his sufferings of this present time, they're not worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed to us. He said, if you actually know what's coming... He says elsewhere, like these light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal weight of glory. That's not to say, just don't worry about it. It's not to say, like, don't worry about cancer, it's actually not that bad. It's like cancer, cancer sucks. Mental health issues and depression, man, anxiety, 
it, it's a, man, it's, yeah, I know it's rough. But in the new heavens, new earth, that won't be anymore. You'll be with Jesus forever. Verse 19, for the creation, all of creation, eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. So, man, even like creation, every time somebody becomes a Christian, every time someone comes into faith, creation's going, oh, there's another one. We're one step closer. It's coming. It's nearly here. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope that creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children, to the glorious freedom that we have in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Even creation will benefit from it because all things are being made new by King Jesus. All things are being made new by King Jesus. Not only that, but we ourselves, we are, sorry, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labour pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves, who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For when we get our resurrected bodies, we are eagerly awaiting it, we are groaning, we are anticipating, eagerly waiting that day. Now, in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he sees? Now, if we have hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. So saying, when we don't have our resurrected bodies yet, we, hope for, we, we have hope for them. Not just vain hope, like, oh, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow because I've got a barbecue or something. But it's a true hope. It's a, it's, a, it's a real hope. We know we have it, even though we don't have it yet. So we eagerly await for it, and we can be patient for it through trials, through suffering, through even persecution, through bodies breaking down, through minds breaking down because of the great hope that awaits us in the resurrection to come, the redemption of our bodies, because we know the resurrected Jesus. What a wonderful hope. He says we can be patient now. Through the struggles, we can be patient. Actually, it informs and transforms how we relate to God informs and transforms how we relate to each other. As not, not just redeem people by the blood of the Lamb on the cross, although that is to be maximized, but also as co-heirs in the promise and the inheritance in the new earth, which is eternity with God. And Isaiah culminates this in chapter 12 with this it's just a song of praise. It says, On that day you will say, I will give thanks to you, Yahweh. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away. And you've comforted me. Indeed, God is my salvation. I'll trust him and not be afraid. For Yahweh, Yahweh himself is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. You will joyfully draw water from the springs of salvation. And on that day you will say, Give thanks to Yahweh. Proclaim his name. Make his works known among the peoples. Declare that his name is exalted. Sing to Yahweh for he has done glorious things. Let this be known throughout the earth. Cry out and sing, citizen of Zion, inhabitant of the new Jerusalem, sing. For the Holy One of Israel is among you in his greatness. What's the end? What's the glory? What's the goodness of the resurrected kingdom? Is it that we will not have cause to cry anymore but tears of joy? I mean, that's good. Is it that there's no more death, no more destruction? That's great. 
is that we can be like good buddies with lions. That's pretty cool. But what is the, what's the goodness, what's the glory of the resurrected kingdom? It's that we get to be with Jesus for forever. His presence in the, in the glorious, in the glory of his glory. Oh my goodness. But not in fear. Not as an enemy. Not as a captive, but as a daughter and a son of the Most High God. A little sister, a little brother of King Jesus. That's who you are. And that's who you are now. That's not just for the resurrection. This is who you are now. Now we need to live in light of the resurrection now for the hope for the future, but for what it means for us now. And we wait it eagerly. We wait it with patience. And we wait in a fruitful way because we have work to do in lifting up that same banner, being co-laborers with our God, our King Jesus, in drawing all nations to him through the wonderful gospel of grace. Let's pray together. Father God, uh, we, th- we thank you so much for Jesus. We, we know we don't deserve, I mean, anything from you but the same judgment that we've read about in Isaiah. We don't have anything intrinsically good in, our, in ourselves except that we bear your image in creation. We thank you they didn't leave us uh, to our own devices. You didn't leave us like writhing in our sin and rebellion, but you came for us. You sent Jesus for us. You made a way for us. We're so thankful. We're so grateful. You are our King. You are our salvation. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church, or to donate to the work of City Light Church, visit us online at www.citylight.church.